stone in this room is much like the stone in the last one. And the room before that? All of them sharing strangely similar crack patterns, as if one set of cracks had been spun and placed upon the subsequent cobblestone. Strange indeed. Perhaps it's some kind of clue to the architects who created this place. Yes, yes, I suspect that they only really had one idea and then mm, extended it into thousands of similar square spaces, each one with a nondescript ten-foot ceiling and a wooden door at the far end, perfect for random encounters, but frankly, falling flat as far as entertainment value. But Master, we're not here to be entertained. We're here to discover the RPG mainframe. Hey, greetings, programs. Joe Buddy, Ingrid Byrne, all here. Coming back once again, bringing that podcast made to last good old Rune Hammer uh, with the RPG mainframe. Yeah, that's me. That's what this is all about. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in once again. This is Mainframe 63. Can you believe that? It's been... 62 freaking podcasts before this one. That's just, that's just creepy. So welcome to uh, Mainframe 63. We're going to get into a beefy one today and hopefully get real practical with it. Now I have several pages in my little miniature journal here of aborted ideas <laughs> for Mainframe 63. And um, like one of them was like, wouldn't it be cooler if camping scenes were always in like architecture, like <laughs> like giant ruined arches or something, big statues in the forest are way cooler place to camp than just like, you know, the middle of the woods or like high on the plateau. How I expected to fill an entire podcast with just isn't camping among statues cooler. I have no idea. <laughs> So we had that one. Um, then I had a couple others, which were basically groping around, trying to think about dungeons in a meaningful way um, for reasons that will become clear here coming into um, later in April and into May. Um, you know, really good dungeon design and more importantly, like dungeon communication uh, has been on my mind. And by dungeon communication, I mean like not only designing a cool thing, having a cool idea, but then packaging in a way where someone else could pick up on your idea. They could kind of make it their own, keep going, improvise the details and have an easy time of it rather than, you know, trying to run some giant over detailed sort of opus that someone else wrote and you're trying to like get inside of it. And uh, I don't know. So dungeon communication has been on my mind of how to sort of solve that problem. You know, it involves your writing format. It involves how do you evoke mood as a writer. But again, I was like, I'm not sure I really have that figured out. I found myself, you know, going to Discord and asking good old Kelsey. I'll be like, hey, you know, I need some pointers on writing a module here. I don't, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. And I'm reading her module and I'm like, dang, this thing feels really tight. But I want to go even tighter and even smaller. And how do I do it? So I don't think I'm prepared to like bust out a substantial thesis if I'm still in the learning process. So I scrap that page and move on and design some rooms and work on some stuff for my group. And finally came back around and I found a topic that's specific enough. That's something I think that I've been good at over the years that, that I could communicate. And that's going to be mainframe 63. So enough beating around the bush here. This is about the fundamental question when you're creating a dungeon for your players is it really more than one scene? 
Is your dungeon really more than one scene? Now, recently, because of some stuff that's uh, been coming out uh, into the hobby, um, you know, these sort of world's biggest dungeon kind of things, and even all the way back to Barrow Maze, which was years ago, um, but has just, you know, gotten more momentum recently. Um, I think uh, one of the reasons for me that a lot of these sort of huge dungeons or these kind of vast labyrinthine type concepts kind of wind up never truly making it to my table is one unnecessary scale. I really don't see the use in having a thousand or more encounters or something. And I, I, I really don't need, you know, five years of gameplay. <laughs> I'd rather have five nights of really good gameplay. That's easy to understand. So the unnecessary scale kind of always keeps me away a little bit, but more so this fundamental question, is your dungeon more than one scene? And I think in a lot of these cases, it's not. I would almost consider like Rapana Thuk, one of my all-time favorites, to kind of just be a couple of different scenes. So much of it is the same note. And and another um, example of this is the most recent read that I've done. I went back and read the first edition uh, Undermountain, the original Undermountain sort of adventure and campaign setting. You know, it came in like three or four small books like things back, did back then in a box set. And um, I read all of Undermountain and I'm coming out of it and I realized like Undermountain really is sort of one scene. It's almost like Gontelgrim is kind of like one scene or, or another case could be Erebor itself. Really Erebor is all kind of like a scene. It's basically these big stone dwarven walkways and hallways and pillars. And there's gold and there's some molten stuff. That's Erebor. It's kind of one scene. Now you have a lot of different layouts and you had a lot of different scenarios and spaces and different stuff like that. But really just as a sort of a scene and as a tone, it's all really quite unified. And in my mind, I was thinking, me no likey. <laughs> I don't like for a huge space, a complex space, especially if it's designed to be interesting for more than a session or two to have this sort of one note feeling. And, you know, in Undermountain, it really, uh, it, it is revealed in that, um, there's a couple of terrain types when you're reading Undermountain and like, I swear 80% of the rooms, the terrain type is Undermountain, which, you know, he describes it as, you know, these sort of square cut gray rocks. And even where it's raw stone that's been cut, it's kind of been etched to look like cobbled stones. And this is the the gray square stone that we all know and love from all kinds of different dungeons and all kinds of terrain, right? But in my mind, I think that visual, which we've all gotten so used to, has become such a staple. I think it's limiting us in how fun a larger, more prolonged space can be. And so to me, that again, that feels like one scene. Another way you could say it is like a Dwarven Forge, right? You'll get a pe people, collectors who have these incredible sets of Dwarven Forge terrain. But really, all of it is kind of like one scene. It's kind of like this gray stone with these cracks in it and these kind of, you know, rough hewn walls and stuff like that. And I think this holds us back in how our dungeons play and feel to players. And so what I want to provide is an answer so that you say no. So if I say, is your dungeon really, take a really hard look at your dungeon. Is it really just kind of like one big scene with different sort of beats in it? And I want you to say, no, no, it is not one big scene. It's, it's wildly differentiated. And my answer to how to make sure you reach that point is the sort of method I'm calling differentiate mindfully. It is, it is being self-aware that you are 
creating differentness in the beats of your dungeon design. Now that may seem, you know, somewhat obvious or stands to reason, right? But the exact nature of mindful thinking is that you expose what may seem to go unsaid or seem obvious and you mindfully put it at the front of your consciousness rather than in the rear. And when it's in the front of your consciousness, you can, you can mind that almost assumed wisdom that you have and intentionally use it to create the desired effect, which in this case is more differentiation over the course of a bigger dungeon. Okay. So we're going to differentiate mindfully. And then I've got four steps here about how I think you can execute this, how you can apply this thinking and, and put the, the do in this, like not just think about it, but to do it. What do I do? Hankering for now. Yo, Ingrid Bernal, what do I actually do? Not just what do I think, but what do I do? Okay. So this is going out to anyone who's right now building a dungeon or about to build a dungeon or three quarters of the way through, or you're in the process somewhere of dungeon creation. And, and let's face it for the, for the weekly GM out there, this happens maybe every other month or so. You're kind of back to like, okay, I need a little hideout for my gabos, or I need a sea cave for my myrnomes, or whatever. And so you're, you're needing a next little dungeon, and sometimes you need a big one. You need, you know, the fortress. You need the underdark. So here are my four techniques to mindfully differentiate the spaces in your dungeon. So the first one is to always, and this is a classic, appeal to the senses. Appealing to the senses means mindfully making different sense experiences from space to space. So if one space smells like the classic dungeon way, right? It smells musty with this kind of cobweb, dry, dusty kind of um, smell. Let's just stick with smell for a second. Then your next room needs to smell like roasted turkey. (laughs) The next room smells like rabbit stew. The next room could smell like fresh spring flowers. You see what I mean? Now, what does this mean? Where's this going? I have no idea. But it's the differentiation that gets the mind turning. And that also makes the player go, oh, wait a minute. That's totally different. That that must be something. Why does it smell like fresh, fresh roasted turkey in here, dude? That's not cool. We're like in a dungeon. We should not be smelling that. So that's just one sense. Now, smell is not used that frequently in dungeon design. But... We, we assume that uh, all the senses are almost kind of washed over a lot of times when it comes to dungeons, except vision. We're always talking about what you're seeing and how different that is. And so I would challenge you to extend that detail we always put into visual thinking into the other senses. Now, let's take another challenging one, which is touch or tactile sense. Now, we're all familiar with the basic dungeon tactile sense, right? It's a, 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 usually a cold, rough stone that sort of has a granite-like feeling, maybe with ages of dust and, again, cobwebs and this, this sort of sense tableau that we're also familiar with. So what if you come into a portion of your dungeon where it's wooden, everything is wooden or wooden clad, or everything has like a layer of slime on it? Now, these aren't revolutionary ideas. Lots of dungeons have this stuff. The point is to mindfully differentiate how the senses respond to one space as it follows another and to create variety and to create rhythm. Okay, so now I have a little follow-up here when you're appealing to the senses. Each time you appeal to the senses, force yourself in your journal, in your sort of creation process, 
to reinforce that sense change or that sense data with one single mechanic, one mechanic and only one. So you keep yourself under control, keep your prep under control. Okay, so let's go back to the the slimy touch. Okay, so we're moving through a dungeon. We have a space which is this cold, rough, granite-like stone. Then we enter a second space where everything you touch has this very thin layer of sort of, um, you know, almost like lubricant slime on it, right? So all your dex checks are going to be difficult in that environment. That would be a super simple one. So not only do you feel it with one of your senses, there is an extremely simple game modifying mechanic that goes with that sensory change. Another one could be that when you smell that roasted turkey, the, the mechanic is any loud noise will alert the, the orc chef. <laughs> I don't know. Just kind of going with it. And so it's, it's very, very simple. It's only one rule and it goes with the sense so that the player gets the sense. And then over the course of the next few moments or next few rounds, they get the mechanic either by hook or by crook. Maybe they figure the mechanic out without sort of quote unquote triggering it, or it's, uh, you know, triggered on accident. Like, you know, somebody says, oh, wow, do you guys smell roast turkey? Like all loud. And that instantly alerts the chef and they're around the corner or something like that. So the point isn't any specific case here. It's that your sensory change always comes with it a single, and you don't get to do two, a single mechanic. So in your journal, you have two little bullets. You have the sensory change, and then right under it, you have a little return arrow. And and next to that, you have what this means, what its mechanical effect is. Okay, that's my first one. My second one is a method that I like to call changing the music. Now, this in Roll20, you can actually be, you know, DJing the music for the session, which I highly recommend if you're playing online. Music is absolutely critical to running a good Roll20 session. But change the music isn't meant to be literal in this case. What I mean by changing the music is to mindfully, drastically, and, and to extremes to change the mood of the gameplay from beat to beat or portion to portion. So if you imagine taking this literally, changing the music can be going like from right? So the first one is creeping around, looking around corners, dark shadows, what's going on. The second one is a chase or a pitched battle. Now extend these two simple tropes, which are like, you know, down, sort of downbeat and upbeat to more nuanced ideas like sad music or choral music, or maybe even like silence with a ringing sound. So in your mind, what you do is you change the score of how you're conceiving this movie, which is your dungeon. And when the score changes, you mindfully say this mood is going to flip like huge. So a, a classic way to do this is to be creeping through and investigating and you're, you're looking through this dungeon and I have a bad feeling that they know we're coming and maybe they've, they've set traps for us or something like that. Then one of the players inevitably steps on a pressure plate, a door slides open and like 40 skeletons pour out and they're just ravaging in and there's no way to defend it against them. And the players have to flee. Those two moments are so wildly different that if the music were to be the same, through the first moment and the second, it would be bizarre. And that's the extremity you're going to look for when you're mindfully differentiating portions of your dungeon. Now, I think this is an area, especially, this is probably the most overlooked part 
not only of dungeon creation and preparation, but of running it at the table. Um, I know all of you guys out there who've been part of games where there is an emotional flatness that can sometimes last three to four to five hours. Now, you're still gaming and you're having a good time and you're moving along, but emotionally speaking, there's this sort of not flat line because that implies like you know everybody's just brain dead and bored, but it's not wildly varying. There's not a lot of wave to it. It just has a steadiness to it. And I've been in far too many games to even really bother wanting to recount them all that have had this trouble. It doesn't make for a bad game, but it's clearly not mindfully differentiated. And, and this is one area where I'd have to be a little bit critical on Barrow Maze, is it really has, to me, this single emotional tone to it, which isn't a boring tone, and it isn't maximally exciting. It's somewhere in the, the between, and it's relatively even. So I think that that whole work is brilliantly executed, but to me, it falls short on changing the music up. To me, Barrow Maze almost has like, you know, one big song that it plays to. And I would invite you to mindfully press that stop button on that big song, completely flip the, the mood of what I like to call the music, which is really sort of an abstract concept here, not actual music. And then say, what does this mean? Why is there sad music in this next room? Because there was all this happy music in the previous one. Like, whoa, if I'm going to toy with your emotions in that way, why am I doing it? What could be an answer to this odd creative decision I've made? And as you explain yourself through this mindful differentiation, you find the new ideas. Okay, now our third point is openly moving the spotlight. And this is a classic. This is like not my idea in any way. We all know about the principle of moving the spotlight around in a game is critical to have happy players. You need to have a scene where the rogue is cool. You need to have a scene where the wizard gets to read an old book. You need to have a scene where the tank gets to fight off big bugs. <laughs> you need to have a scene where a cleric finds a religious statue deep in a catacomb where it shouldn't be, right? All this stuff. You need to move that spotlight around. And I guess what I'm saying here for differentiation in the dungeon is to openly almost in a meta way, almost like breaking the fourth wall, say, this is the rogue scene. <laughs> now, you might want to not be so coarse about it, but depending on the nuance level of your players, I don't think this is off limits as a game master, is to say, the only way that this next part is really going to add up is if this rogue comes through. This is it, man. You've, you've been waiting for this. You made that whole backstory about your trap expertise in, back in the day, well, blah, 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 blah. Well, this is it. Time for the rubber to hit the road, right? When you're talking like that as a game master, you're totally breaking the fourth wall. You're coming right through to the players and being like, this is your moment, bro. <laughs> like, this is it. You want to you get after this? Let's get into it. And you're celebrating the fact that the spotlight is going to them. You're not trying to sneak it in. You're not trying to, ooh, are they going to figure out that I made this scene to really make the cleric look cool? No. You're going to be like, this is it. We've, we've had a cleric in our, in our party all this time. We've been talking about how uh, he worships the devourer, but not in an evil way, more as a force of natural chaos. And like, this is the moment where all that sort of faith and your religious fervor is really going to matter more than anything Ugh, anything else in the encounter, right? So bring it. <laughs> and what I'm suggesting is to create more differentiation in a larger dungeon or a larger gameplay space. Openly move that spotlight. Openly. It's just like how you've, you've let your DM screen go so that you can openly roll your dice and the results are the results and they shall never be fudged. Similarly here, you're just openly saying, okay, I'm flipping the page in my journal here and um, 
oh yeah, it looks like this is this cool sort of rogue area that I, that I came up with. So, Hey man, it's time for us to do some cool rogue stuff. Like, I hope you guys are into that, you know, have a drink of your Mountain Dew and let's go. Now that same may seem a little bit silly, but you guys know how I stand on that front. I really believe that the table is for everyone and I don't need to amaze you with how I sneak something up on you. I'm just going to openly tell you if it serves the purpose of differentiation. Hey, this next part is about this spotlight. Like, oh man, you know, like let's say an initiative role is done and some enemies have revealed themselves. Sometimes I will just openly say like, okay, this is, you guys are going to need like rock solid tanking here. You know, it's completely meta, but it's just me being me, not me being the game master behind the screen sort of giggling. I'm just hanging with my homies saying, okay, tank this. Like if you don't do some crowd control, like these things are just going to sweep you. You know, it's very meta. Okay. So that's the third one. And my final point on mindfully differentiating spaces and beats to create rhythm and variety in dungeons and large gameplay spaces is to reinforce and almost like cut away, which we're going to talk about that word here, cut away to the core goal, the core goal or the core threat of the dungeon. Now, Cutaway is a term uh, usually used in screenwriting and in uh, editing. And what a cutaway is, probably most of you know, it is we're following scene A. And scene A is unfolding and unfolding and folding. And then we cut away to scene B. Now, this term implies editing and camera use, right? Like there's more than two cameras in this world. Now, in a lot of D&D play, there's only one camera. It's a camera that follows the players around. The other camera, as I'm calling it, is sometimes used as a flashback or sometimes as a backstory tool. But what I'm suggesting here is to create differentiation and change, you cut away to why they're even here, what the, what the core goal really is. So cutting away is kind of like saying, so meanwhile, as you guys are struggling in that corridor down there, fighting those giant insects and discovering the sort of unholy statue down in the catacombs, you remember that the reason you're here is the beholder that has you know, put this blight on your land. And if you don't defeat him, it's going to get worse. And as you continue to adventure through this space, you notice that the blight is creeping through the cracks of everywhere in this dungeon. Now, this isn't necessarily me providing an actual second camera. It isn't saying, meanwhile, in your mind's eye, you see a beholder floating around laughing because you haven't defeated him yet. (laughs) It's a conceptual camera. It's a cutaway to an idea, not a cutaway to an actual scene. And that second camera is abstract, and it is the camera of your mind as the game master knowing and reinforcing and reminding the larger arc or story drive here. Now, why do you want to do this? Because A, it can be dynamic, and B, you need a reason to go through all this crap. (laughs) So what I mean by more dynamic is maybe as the players are working their way through the dungeon, they are affecting the core threat or the main goal. It is changing in time. This is what would be called a living dungeon um, in some writer's conceptions. And secondarily, um, you know, reminding them why is the second reason you want to do this cutaway. Why are we wading through sludge? Why are we fighting all these undead? Why, why are we battling all these insects when we could just leave? 
Well, you can't leave, because if you don't defeat this beholder, the blight will devour your lands, and all that you know will be gone. Now, you can do this reminder in many forms. You can do it through hidden clues. You can do it through completely meta-narration. Another great way to do it is after a brief break. So let's say you've gone four or five rounds of gameplay and lean back in your chair, have a sip of your beer and eat a couple of Doritos and then say, okay, so we're, we're down in here. We're fighting this beholder who's going to blight our land. We've been through this and we've been through that. And if, we, if you guys can just keep going, you might have a shot at him. Now, again, that's completely meta. You're speaking outside the theatrical narrator voice of the game master. But by doing this, you're mindfully differentiating tone from part to part to part. And in my case, I've done a somewhat small differentiation here, which is the blight in question is actually now creeping into the dungeon. So it's a constant visual. It's a sensory reminder of the goal of why they're here, because this blight is creeping and creeping and creeping. And I could even say that it starts to change. Maybe when it reaches a certain level of maturation, it becomes like lasher vines or something. But being open with speaking in a meta tone and cutting away from the action back to the core reasons, the core why, the goal, the threat of why all this dungeon stuff is happening and doing it at moments that creates differentiation. So you could have moments that feel more like victory Again, changing the music. Or you could have moments that feel like defeat. Again, the music's very different when you're being defeated. When the blight, you find like one of the blossoms of the blight. Like it's, there's a spot where it's completely overgrown things. And you see what doom could await the future if you allow it to continue. And that music is going to be vastly different than the moment that you realize that salt burns back the blight. And you have this entire sort of stretch of gameplay where the blight is completely being pressed away. So I'm cutting away from player action to say, hey, guys, remember why you're here. There's this thing going on and it's ever changing and it's different in this scene than it was in the other. And that's why the music is so different. Now, you don't need to be that meta, but that's what's going through your game master brain. So if you apply mindful differentiation when you're creating your dungeon, what do you get? You get beats. So have you ever noticed some of these uh, lower budget horror films, the whole film is shot in like one little space and they kind of, these characters just run in circles the whole time (laughs) and it doesn't make for that great of a movie. Now, a great example of sort of mindful differentiation would be something more like The Shining, where it's still kind of like a core location, the hotel, but there's a snowy part. There's a, there's a hallway. There's the sort of long silences of uh, the sort of madness sequences. But then there's also the punctuated, almost screaming chaos when sort of the ravenous ghosts kind of appear and attack. And then, of course, there's the sort of the chase. And there's even the sadness. You know, Shelley Duvall's character, almost she has this sadness, and, and those scenes have different music. And, of course, Bartok is stinking brilliant, as well as the other composers who contributed to that film. And all those music changes are going to be educational for you as a game master about how more variety and emotional rhythm creates a way better dungeon experience, especially when you're working with a larger dungeon, a so-called mega dungeon even, that having notations on sensory changes, on music changes, on spotlight changes, And finally, always cutting away to the changing core goal or threat. 
Those are what's going to give you a much more dynamic and rhythmic experience to where players don't get this sort of uh, 10-foot pole uh, gray stone cobble syndrome, right? You come around a corridor, it's another corner with more gray stones, and you poke at it with the 10-foot pole. You move forward, you come into a gray stone room with a 10-foot ceiling, and it's like there's a wooden door. You go through the wooden door, there's a 10-foot corridor with gray, you know, like, (laughs) don't be that way. You're cooler than that. You're a lumpy-headed weirdo like I am. So you're putting thought and craft into creating emotionally roller coastery dungeons. And mindful differentiation is one powerful tool that you can use to push yourself toward that goal. And of course, there's lots of other tools. But this is the RPG Mainframe, episode 63, and it is about mindful differentiation. So... That's all I got for now, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And holy moly, welcome to all the new shields here at the shield wall of Runehammer. We have seen a lot of new people showing up. I'm sure everybody's getting a little more screen time and podcast time nowadays um, because of our current global predicament. So it's great to have you guys. Thank you so much for the support. Um, you're you're keeping my, my little teeny family alive and well with your support, so I damn well appreciate that. But also be sure to find that um, post with Codex in its title, and that's going to be a nice guide that uh, the wonderful shields of the Shield Wall have created to download all the different stuff that's been up in one easy location. Jump on those forums, yada, yada, yada. You know what's up. Mash that like button, oh, man. <laughs> all right, you guys, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to get out of here. There's a lot to do. This chair isn't going to sit in itself, so I'll see you guys on the internet. Keep it real. Don't steal. Stay safe and stay healthy. And let's get through this together, all right? I'll see you guys soon. I'm out of here.